you'll understand why, because here's our verse this morning. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And this morning we got to rejoice a little bit with Chad, who is looking forward to his 32nd birthday. That's right. Uh, so we, uh, we're going to tackle this verse this morning and uh, maybe a couple verses surrounding it, because I think it's one of those essential commands. This is a powerful statement packed with all kinds of emotion. And uh, I want to ask you a quick question. How many of you have heard somebody quote this verse before? Raise your hand if you have. All right, we, I, it's one of those verses I think is often quoted. It's usually quoted when like, you just missed out on an opportunity somebody else had, and then they say to you, well, you should rejoice with those who rejoice. That's generally... Uh, how we use it. We tend not to talk about the weep with those who weep part, uh, but at least that's how I've heard it described from every now and then. But um, we've been looking at Romans 12, and if you have your Bible, turn there, uh, because I want us to look at this section a little more closely. And uh, so turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through um, kind of the end of that chapter. If you would, just for a moment, I'll give you about a minute to do it. Peruse those verses and just look at all of the teachings that Paul is challenging us to adhere to, okay? So look at them really closely. And then I'm going to make a statement about this particular verse in a moment. So start reading or glancing through verse 9 through the end of the chapter and uh, just look at some of the commands in that particular passage. All right? Hopefully you are able to at least glance through there and see some of the commands. I want to make a statement about this verse that you could maybe argue with, but uh, from my perspective, I'm going to at least communicate this. I think that of all of the commands in Romans 12, this is or should be the easiest one to follow. Out of all of the commands, this one should be the easiest, at least at face value. And I'm going to suggest why here for a moment. I'm going to suggest that we are hardwired in a particular way, that should make this one easier than the rest. Many of you have probably heard that scientifically what we do as humans is we mimic the emotions, the feelings, the gestures, the postures of people around us. The scientific term is called mirroring, that we mirror or mimic one another's reactions. It's all part of the mirror neuron system in our brains. I know many of you have probably studied Uh, mere neurons, but the idea is that we, just by nature of who we've been created to be, begin to mimic or mirror people's reactions. So mirroring is defined as this, the behavior in which one person subconsciously imitates the gestures, speech pattern, or attitude of another. Another definition would be brain-to-brain imitation of postures, mannerisms, and facial expressions. What I would argue is that mirroring is quite natural, that we do it all the time, especially with people that we're often around, people in our small group or friends or family that we tend to mirror what they do. Uh, You'll see this all over the place. I'll give you a couple examples. If uh, one of us right now in the audience was to yawn, there would be a contagious yawning that takes place. Trust me, I've seen it from up front before, all right? (laughs) I don't like to see it, but I've seen it before, okay? Uh, That we yawn and then it just becomes contagious. We do this in other ways. If you are around someone who's just having the best day of their life and they have a smile all over their face and they just can't hide it, what seems to happen is that it rubs off on you. 
that you somehow pick up their smile, that emotions themselves can be contagious in some ways, right? You hear it in speech patterns. You've probably heard me say one or two times up here that uh, as soon as we're done with that, we'll jump into the passage, or we'll jump into the service, or we'll jump into something. And uh, I start noticing that I say it often when I see the rest of the staff say, hey, we're going to go jump into that right now. And I'm like, oh, stink, I say that too often, right? Uh, we, we find that we repeat other people's speech. Uh, I have a friend named Asher. Some of you know Asher. Uh, Asher has a lot of, uh, like, Asherisms is what we call them. Some that he does <laughs> over and over. And uh, he, uh, he used to be part of this community and went to become one of the pastors over at First Pres. And uh, so I don't see him as often, but sometimes we'll get together for a meeting. Uh, we'll hang out. Uh, I'll hear him talk the way he talks or gesture the way he gestures. I'll come home uh, later in the day. I'll see Shannon, and she will say this. Uh, Did you happen to meet with Asher today? And I'll go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, those of you that know Asher will know exactly what I mean. Uh, it just kind of rubs off, right? Those kind of things happen. Um, I've also noticed, uh, I meet with quite a few people throughout the week, all different types of meetings, but sometimes it'll be just to get together with someone for coffee and, and to talk about life. And uh, Have you ever noticed this, that when you're sitting across from someone, that sometimes you begin to mirror the posture or, or the, the way you're sitting or the gesture you're making to the other person on the other side. I don't know if you notice this or if you uh, have coffee dates as often as I, but uh, I'll be sitting there, I'll be leaning in, and I'll recognize they're leaning in as well. So um, I pay very good attention, but I've started a little game at the, on the side where... Like, what I'll do, this is just, my mind is doing hundreds of things at once, and so, like, I'll, I'll just, I'll kind of sit like this for a moment, and I'll just see how long it takes before they sit like that. Subconsciously, we do. Like, I'll cross my hands like this, and I'll notice that they cross their hands after a little bit, and so then I'll, I'll switch, and I'll do something else, or, and just, just to see, um, please keep going to coffee with me, I enjoy, it's good. <laughs> But, but I do, I, I, I see those things happen, and it's just, it's just natural, right? It's just natural. Uh, I was uh, telling Mark Killian that, uh, that uh, this happens a lot, that we have gestures that mimic one another, and he, he suggested that even uh, the middle finger seems to respond with other people giving the middle finger, right? We, we gesture, and, uh, and people tend to pick up on it, and uh, we mirror all these facial expressions and gestures, but what's interesting is that we've also begun to mirror the emotional states of others. What this is called is empathy. We begin to mimic moods and feelings, emotions. Uh, empathy can be thought as the ability to experience the experiences of someone else, which is very much what this verse is talking about, right? Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, experience the experiences of other people. So like, be there in the moment with them. It should be easy for us, but I'm going to guess that it's not. I know for myself it's not. It's not always easy to mimic those emotions, to see someone rejoicing and then jump in and rejoice as well, or to see someone with deep sadness and sorrow and then to join in with their sorrow. 
Robert Wright said, The world's biggest single problem is the failure of people or groups to look at things from the point of view of other people or groups, i.e., to put themselves in the shoes of the other. See, if it's natural for us to mirror or natural for us to have empathy, then this certainly should be the simplest verse to follow out of Romans chapter 12, but it's not. And I want to suggest that there's several reasons why. And we're going to look at a few in the text. But before we do that, what I want you to do is talk with your neighbor. I'll give you about a minute or so to do it. And I want you to answer this question. What are the factors for why we might not naturally rejoice with those who are happy or cry with those who are sad? What are the reasons that that just doesn't come natural for us? All right, so talk with your neighbor. I'll give you about a minute to do it and uh, come up with a few and then I'll gather a few responses. All right, maybe uh, shout out a reason or two uh, for why we might not rejoice with those who rejoice or weep with those who weep. Okay, we're selfish. Good. Jealous. Proud. We know better. Okay, good. Tired? Yeah. Just emotionally spent. Yeah, someone else. You try to protect yourself. Okay, good. Don't like the person. Somebody being honest right there. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I mean, we could, we could probably go on and list quite a few more. It just should come natural for us, but it, simply it doesn't. And I want to suggest that there's a couple right here in the passage. If you look at verses 14 to 16, it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That was what uh, Kevin spoke on last week. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. I want to suggest two uh, from this passage. The first one being uh, from the section, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. I think one of the reasons that we might not rejoice with those who rejoice or weep with those who weep is that we're glad they're weeping and mad that they're rejoicing, right? We just plain don't like them, right? They've become enemies of some sort. Uh, they've rubbed us the wrong way, Uh, something difficult has happened, Uh, they've betrayed you, Uh, they've hurt you, Uh, some kind of mess, your relationship is broken apart in some way, and uh, when someone's done that and moves to that place where we would maybe consider them an enemy, then, I, I mean, I'll just be honest, I get pissed when things go their way, Right? I mean, they're rejoicing, and I'm going, what? And how can they be that kind of person or do that kind of thing and then have things go so well for them, right? We get resentful or envious. Someone mentioned jealousy. Uh, they, they have joy, and we don't. They're, they're having something uh, go well for them, and things just are either the same for us or maybe just aren't really great. And so we feel gypped. Like we've got the short end of the stick. We um, got the raw deal. And so envy makes it impossible for us to rejoice. Or the flip side of that is we get pumped that they got what they deserved. We're like, finally. That's what I'm talking about. 
I mean, those people are jerks. And now they have to suffer. And I love it. Right? Or I'm, I'm excited. They get the taste of their own medicine. You know what they put me through? Now look it. They have to face the music. They have to experience what they're experiencing. And now they can feel what I felt. And so for some of us, maybe... One of the reasons the text points out that we might not rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep is that we're actually glad they're weeping or sad that they're rejoicing. Here's a second reason. Uh, The text goes on to say, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. I would argue that maybe we're too wrapped up in ourselves to rejoice or weep with others. We talked about it earlier in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. There's this sense of making sure you think of yourselves with an appropriate viewpoint. Right? Don't think too highly of yourself, but think with sober thinking, is what it, the text says. To think with sober thinking. To not be so wrapped up in ourselves that we can't empathize in some way. To be so preoccupied. To be so self-focused. I think someone mentioned it, pride. Pride is one of those... Uh, destroying qualities that I think um, hinders empathy, hinders the ability for us to put ourselves in someone else's shoes or to, to, to be able to experience the emotions that they're experiencing. If you think of a self-preoccupied person, you think of someone who's continually thinking about themselves. We talked about it again a, a few weeks back where this idea of either you're thinking about yourself too much or you think of yourself lowly and, and you put yourself down. In either place, you're still thinking of yourself and both of them, whether it's self-loving or self-hating, are both symptoms of the same thing, which is pride. You're worried about self. And the truth is, Paul's trying to get us in all of Romans 12 to recognize our lives as living sacrifices, which is to say... That it's not about you. It's not about me. And so when we become so self-infatuated, so preoccupied with ourselves, that the world revolves around us, and what it does is it kills all ability to actually rejoice or to weep, to come alongside and experience what others are experiencing. And so the passage goes on to tell us what we're supposed to do instead, right? So instead of being the person who's all about pride or a person who's all about this idea that you're the enemy and I I wish ill on you, we're supposed to move into a place where we live in harmony. The passage says to live in harmony with one another. And as I was reflecting on this verse this week and these thoughts, it it kept coming back to me this idea of mirroring, right? That, that we're supposed to mirror the emotions of someone else or to experience it in that particular way. And it struck me how much this passage mirrors another passage. It's one that many of you are familiar with in Philippians 2. Um, you don't have to turn there. I'll have it on the screen. But in Philippians 2, Paul starts off and he says, it's all about harmony, to live in harmony. And he describes it this way. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from His love, any participation in the Spirit, Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The idea is to be in such harmony with one another in the body of Christ that his joy becomes complete and that all of our joys become complete. 
Right? What he's saying is, have the same, put yourself in someone else's shoes. Have the same mind. Start thinking the same way, experiencing the same things. It's very similar to what Atticus says to Scout. If you can learn a simple trick, Scout, you'll get along a lot better with all kinds of folks. You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. So what Paul is urging us to do is climb into the skin of someone else and walk around a little bit. To experience what someone else is experiencing. To feel what others feel. To live into that harmony. Paul then goes on to say this in the passage. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What he's telling us to do is to walk in humility. Again, it mirrors this idea of don't be conceited. Don't be so proud. Don't, don't be unwilling to associate with the lowly, right? It's re- re- very reflective, again, in this passage, and he's saying walk in humility. And when Augustine, a long time ago, was asked, what are the primary Christian traits? What are the things that people should, uh, if you were to list them in order, what are the number one and two, the top priorities? And he said this, first, humility. Second, humility. Third, humility. But if you can start there and pretty much finish there, you're going to be in a good place to live out the Christian life because pride destroys harmony. Think about the number of times you've had conflict with someone else and at the center of it, if you had to be honest, was pride. An unwillingness to admit wrong, trying to keep things for yourself, trying to be selfish in some way. And What Paul is saying is that pride destroys harmony. There's a story I heard a long time ago of a, of a soldier who was in the, the First American War. He had ordered men to cut down all of these trees in preparation to build a bridge. And they had this long process of slowly felling the trees because they didn't have enough people in that section of the army to do the work. And so he's uh, standing in this field and he's having the men cut all the trees down and he's kind of ordering them around and he's not participating himself. He's just kind of barking out orders and uh, this man, this commanding figure kind of rides up on a horse and stands next to the man and he just simply says to him, do you not have enough men for the job? And uh, the soldier says, no, we don't. We could definitely use more help. So the man on the horse simply said, well, why don't you jump in yourself? Why don't you help your men do it? And the soldier, the young soldier said, oh, no, no, sir, I, you don't understand. I'm a corporal. That's uh, beneath me. So the man on the horse said, ah, oh, true, true. And he got down and he walked over. And then for the next several hours, he cut down trees and he hauled timber and he got everything prepared to make the bridge. And when the work was done, he walked back over, he got on his horse. And before he walked off, he said to the corporal, he said, Corporal, next time you don't have enough men, feel free to call the commander-in-chief to send more men, and I'll be happy to come again. And that was George Washington. 
You hear that story, and uh, when I heard it the first time, I was like, man, that's awesome. That corporal's got to be hating life. Like, right? I mean, how crappy would that be, right? You hear that story, and you go, that is so awesome that someone, that the top commander, the president of the United States, this leader, would be willing to say, there's no task beneath me. That I'm willing to step into whatever experience someone else is experiencing and be able to, to live into that, that to, to be humble, and to put the interests of others first, as the passage says. And, and as I was even thinking about it this week, I was like, man, how, how cool is that story? And then I was reminded again of Philippians chapter 2, which says this, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I think one of the things that struck me as I was reading through this passage again is how we tend to lose sight of the awesomeness of God. I mean, to realize that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, right? But chose to climb into the skin of us and to walk around a little bit. To experience what we experience, to be able to sympathize with us. We have a great high priest, the text says in Hebrews, who's able to sympathize with us, who's been in our shoes, who's experienced what we've experienced and, it, and it, I think it's so easy for us in the church to be around faith, to be around the scriptures, to be around this story, and allow it to somehow just become normal. So much so that when we hear the story of George Washington, we're like, wow, can you imagine stepping down and doing something like that? And then reading Philippians 2 and going, well, yeah, that's pretty cool. He gave up everything, Right? I mean, the, the gravity of what he did in coming to the earth to live among us and give up his very life for us should it make us stand back and, and just marvel at the awesomeness of God. But because we're so close to the story, sometimes we just kind of lose the appreciation for it. It becomes old news. Even when we take communion, some of us take it routinely like as if yeah, this is great. I'm supposed to remember this. No, this is life-changing. This is so radical that the Christian faith is unlike any other faith. That everything else pales in comparison to the true story of Christ. We've been talking about mirroring, mirroring emotions, and mirroring feelings, mirroring actions. We then come to Philippians where it mirrors this story in Romans and then we see this similarity in the text. And I would argue that the thing we're actually called to is to mirror Christ's humility, right? The passage says, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. This mind, this humility, this understanding that of what we're called to is ours in Christ. That we have the opportunity to to kind of follow in his footsteps. If you think about it, Christ blessed those who cursed him. 
right? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Not only that, this is not just an idea, an abstract. This is an idea that hits home, because while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We just read it this morning in Ephesians chapter 2. While God being rich in mercy, lavished on us grace, right? We get to rejoice that our life hangs totally on the undeserved mercy of being blessed by Christ. Right? Romans 12. Right at the very beginning, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the what? The mercy of God. That everything we're invited to do in Romans 12 isn't of our own strength, but is all of the mercy of God. And when we understand and experience and live into that mercy, then we can savor the fact we can enjoy ourselves being merciful. And we can become the kind of people naturally because of his work in us that rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. May we, new community, come to find that we mirror the humility of our Father. May we consider others better than ourselves and with genuine hearts rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. May we come to find that the Christian life is radical and that the all-sufficient faith that comes from Christ allows me to live in harmony with one another. Let's pray.